And once again, let me uh, welcome those of you who are visiting with us to Cornerstone. My name is Ben Griffith. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you're here, and especially if you're tuning in via live stream, uh, we miss you, and we're glad you're with us today. Our passage, as you can see printed in your bulletin, is Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21 through 33. You may or may not be familiar with this name, but Kurt Thompson is a Christian psychologist and neuroscientist who has done a lot of fascinating work uh, in the area of interpersonal neurobiology, um, especially around the, the intersection of spirituality and neuroscience. From a Christian perspective, how do we understand these two areas coming together? Really fascinating work. Um, well, he wrote this book called The Soul of Shame, one of my favorite books of his that uh, I would actually highly recommend. Um, about what shame is and how it plays itself out in the lives of both individuals and whole communities and how the gospel heals us um, from our shame. But before, it, both in his book and in every talk that I've ever heard him give, before he gets into the actual subject that he's talking about, Kurt Thompson always begins talking about stories and storytelling. He says this, he says, of all the things that set us apart from the rest of creation as humans, this one feature stands out. We tell stories. He, he says, we tell stories. Uh, as human beings, we are storytellers, and we live our lives telling stories, and we live our lives out of the story that we believe to be true about ourselves. I think that's a fascinating insight. The subtitle to his book, The Soul of Shame, is Retelling the Stories That We Believe About Ourselves. So, I think that's incredibly insightful and relevant to us, that we are all living out of the story that we believe to be true about ourselves. Whether we, whether we realize it or not, and whether we're aware of it or not, and most of the time, we're not. <laughs> and you might you might rather think about it in terms of like a, a worldview or a meta-narrative, some kind of all-encompassing um, interpretive grid through which you look at your life and your experiences, your past and present and future, and how you make sense of it. Um, we all live out of a story that we believe to be true about ourselves and that we believe to be true about the world around us, which means that this question is all-important. Which story do you believe you're living in? Because that makes all the difference. Some time ago, a friend invited me to one of those early morning workout classes at his gym, and I thought, you know, I'm in decent shape. I'm going to go kill this thing. They're not even going to know what hit them. And so I showed up, and 15 minutes into this workout, like I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I could not see. I could not stand. I was dead. Um, and that's when I heard the instructor say, okay, warm-up's over. Y'all ready to get started now? And I realized, you know, I, I've been living out of the story that I was in better shape. Um, that was the story that I believed to be true about myself, that I was in much better shape. And that story is now being deconstructed. Um, we all live out of a story that we believe to be true, which means that this is the important question for us. Which story are you living in. The thing is, in our cultural moment right now, that question is becoming, isn't it, harder and harder to answer. 
or at least it seems like there's never been so many alternative and widely divergent answers to this question that are all claiming to be the right answer. Sometimes it's really hard to know, isn't it, who to trust and what's real and what's really happening. What's the true story about COVID-19? What's the true story about the election? What's the true story about what happened this last Wednesday? What's the true story about um, systemic racism and police brutality? What's the true story? Because there's a lot of different ones, aren't there? Uh, This last week, as I was watching events play out um, on Wednesday, I I watched this reporter um, just kind of go off script a little bit, and and he was just kind of lamenting and saying, you know, it seems like we're not even living in the same world anymore. It's like we're not even living in the same spaces, sharing the same reality. And what he could have said was, or what he was saying was, it's like we're not living in the same story anymore. We all live out of the story that we believe to be true about ourselves and about the world around us. You don't rush the capital with Congress in session unless, unless you believe and are buying into a certain story, right? You don't, you don't make a bomb for a year, put it in an RV, and blow up half of a block in Nashville unless you're buying into a certain kind of story that you believe to be true. Now, those are extreme examples, right? But, like, this is true for all of us. It's, this is playing out in our lives every day. The story that we believe we're living in shapes the way that we think and the way that we speak and the way that we react to things. It shapes our emotional life, what makes us angry or sad or anxious. We, we never sin without first buying into a different story. Um, you realize when, when Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden, he told them a different story. That was the way that he tempted them. You know, if you eat this, you're not really going to die. That's not the true story. You're going to become like God. He told them a different story, and they bought into it. You can't sin without first living out of a different story. And so it really is important. Which story are you living in? Which story are you living out of? And the question that the world is asking right now is, is there even such a thing as the true story? Well, I'll say all that to set the stage for what Jesus says here in our passage this morning in Mark 4. Because according to Jesus, the true story of the world is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Um, According to Jesus, that's the true story of what's really happening in this world. It's the good news that the king has landed and that he's starting to put the world back together again and that he's at work and that one day he will finish what he's come to start. Um, The gospel of the kingdom, who God is and what he's doing, is the true story of what's really happening in this world. But as we'll see in just a moment, Jesus has come not just to tell the true story, He's come to invite you into it. He's come to to invite you to receive it and to participate in it. It's the kingdom of God, the true story of what God is really up to in this world, of what's really happening behind the scenes, the true story of who's really in charge and where this is all going. 
You might could say the kingdom of God is the best and most beautiful of all conspiracy theories because it's true and because it's the true story that there's a good and faithful and just God who's really behind the scenes at work. That's the true story. So what is it? What is the true story about the kingdom that Jesus has come to tell, that he's come to invite you into, to receive and participate in? Let's read and find out. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. This is God's word. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom is like a man who should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you please now by your spirit come and make our hearts soft and fertile soil so that you can grow in us the word that you have come to sow. Let it produce in us the fruit of the Spirit, repentance and faith, love for you and for each other. And so come, O Lord, do your work in our hearts, we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So if you were here for the the first of our sermon series way back in Mark 1, um, if you remember the very first words out of Jesus' mouth when he shows up on the scene in Mark chapter 1, his very first words are, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What he's doing there is he's telling us, this is how I want you to see and to interpret everything that I'm about to do and say. This is the grid through which I want you to see everything that all of my actions, all of my healings and my miracles and and all of my sermons and words, everything. It's all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand, and everything that I'm about to do and say is about the kingdom. You could think of it like this. Jesus arrives as the, true, as the true storyteller, the king who's come to tell the true story of the kingdom of God, of what God is doing in this world. And so far in Mark, we've seen that the kingdom that Jesus has come to tell us about is a kingdom where, where the sick can find healing where the broken can find wholeness, where outsiders can find a home, 
and where sinners can find forgiveness. But Jesus, um, the more that he tells the true story as we go on in Mark, the more he upsets the religious figures and authorities of the day, as we've seen. Because everything that he says and that he does, the more the true story that he tells, the more the religious authorities say, you know, I don't think I like the story that you're telling. Because that doesn't sound like a story I want to hear. It wasn't a kingdom, and he wasn't a king that they were at all expecting or looking for. You see, they didn't hear the true story that Jesus was telling about who he was and what he had come to do because they had bought into a different story. They were living out of a different story. They had bought hook, line, and sinker, the story that when God's kingdom, when God's kingdom comes, it's going to be big, and it's going to be grand, and it's going to be noticeable. And their problems are going to go away. And all of their questions will be answered. And they're going to be important and recognized and somebody's. That was the story that they were living out of, that they believed to be true about themselves in the world that they were living in. You see, the story that they were living out of didn't have room for a suffering Messiah. It didn't have room for a king that would show up born in a barn to a teenage mother. They just didn't have room for that. The story that they were living out of could not make sense out of the king and the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And you know, they're not the only ones that need to have their stories broken down and rebuilt again, are they? <laughs> because we can, we can fall into thinking that the Christian life is going to feel a certain way or that following Jesus is going to look a certain way or maybe that God's kingdom advancing in this world is going to look a certain way. Um, we can fall into thinking that we've figured out what God's up to, exactly what God's up to, that we know exactly what are the plans that he has for us, says the Lord, right? And more often than not, when we think that we've figured out exactly what God is doing, the story that he's telling in our lives or the world around us, Sometimes he has to come and dismantle those stories and tell us the true story because our stories weren't nearly big enough and they were way too selfish and boring. <laughs> and so here in these parables in Mark 4, Jesus is telling us the true story, the true story about the kingdom of God. And in many ways, he's dismantling our stories and inviting us back into the true story so that we can then live out of it. The kingdom of God. It's the true story. It's the best and most beautiful of all conspiracy theories because it's the true story of who's really behind the scenes and where it's all going. And so what I want you to see in, in, the, in this collection of parables here is three things about the kingdom of God that Jesus has come to tell us about. Three points about the kingdom. I want you to see that Jesus is telling us how it comes, where it's going, and how it's going to get there. How it comes, where it's going, and how it's going to get there. So first of all, how does the kingdom come? Notice how each parable starts. In verse 21, we have a lamp arriving, but it arrives under a basket. In verse 26, we have seeds scattered on the ground. In verse 31, a tiny little mustard seed that's sown under the ground. Now, none of those things stay that way, but they begin that way. Jesus says the light doesn't stay under the basket, but it comes in that way. And the seed doesn't remain seed. It turns into a harvest. 
And the mustard seed doesn't stay incredibly small. It, it does become great. But in all three cases, you have something that begins in such a drastically different way than how it's going to end. You have something whose origins are incredibly different than its destination. And so here's Jesus' point. The point is, so it goes with the kingdom and with God's purposes in this world and in his people's lives. This is how it comes. This is how it arrives. Small, weak, apparently insignificant, mundane, ordinary, mediocre, able to be mistaken, able to be passed over and walked right by, underappreciated, misunderstood, ignored. The kingdom comes this way because the king himself comes this way, doesn't he? I mean, literally, like a light underneath a basket, Jesus comes as the light of the world, but undercover. <laughs> you just can't get more more mustard seedy than a Messiah who's born in a barn and laid in a feed trough and who grows up in Hicktown, Nazareth. You really just can't get much more mustard seedy than that. And Jesus is saying, this is how the kingdom comes. This is the true story of how God is at work in this world. You might not even notice it. And the rest of the world definitely won't. Because it won't fit at all into the mold of how the world measures power and significance and importance and glory. It just won't fit into that mold at all. I mean, you know, you know what's even more unnoticeable than a mustard seed, a tiny little mustard seed? It's a mustard seed that's underground. A mustard seed that you can't even see anymore. It's, like, it's almost like Jesus is adding insult to injury because you just can't get much smaller and weaker and unnoticeable than that. And so notice that's how it comes and it's how it continues. What Jesus is saying here is that until the harvest comes, until the tree arrives in its full growth, until he has come to finish what he's started and all things are made new. The kingdom is going to grow and it's going to expand and it's going to progress in this world and in your life in a mustard seed kind of way. In a way that might disappoint you. A way that you might, a way that you might not expect. And probably a way that will keep you asking, God, where are you and what are you doing? Now, that's not to say that there aren't very noticeable ways that we can see and notice the kingdom advancing in this world and in our life, right? There are, and God gives us the privilege to see and, and participate in those things. Just look at the advance of Christianity over the last 2,000 years. Um, the seed has grown, but it's always grown in a mustard seed kind of way. Um, and here's one of the things that this means for us. This means that as long as, as long as we're invited by God's sheer unlimited grace to receive and to participate in his kingdom. It means that you're also invited by that same grace to participate in the same weakness and in the same apparent smallness, in the same apparent insignificance. 
that means that God is inviting us further and further into weakness because that's, wh- that's where he has always promised to meet you with all of his strength, with all of his resources at the end of yours. So he invites us into the weakness of the kingdom. He says, here's what you can expect. This is the true story. And you're going to be tempted to buy into all different kinds of stories about how the kingdom is going to grow and advance in this world. And we saw a very different story about how people thought the kingdom or a version of the kingdom might arrive this week, right? But Jesus says, this is how it's going to show up in a very mustard seed kind of way. So don't give up. Um, That's how it's going to come. But then secondly, we see where it's going. We not only see how it comes, we see where it's going, where its destination is, how the true story is going to end. And in each case, in each parable here, we see that what was always there the whole time comes into full expression, blossoms into full reality. In the language of verse 22, what was hidden is made manifest, and what was secret comes to light. In other words, it was always there. It's not like something changes. It was always there, but now it's visible. The light, in other, the light for instance, it was always there. It was just undercover. And in a way, the harvest was always there. It was just in seed form. And the mustard tree at the end was always there, but just in seed form. Jesus is saying, this is where the true story is going. There is a light at the end of the dark tunnel that you may not be able to see, but the light is as big and bright as heaven itself. And it is barreling towards you faster than you can possibly imagine. This is where it's going. Three things. First of all, it's going towards clarity. It's going towards clarity. Jesus again says, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest out in the open. And nor is anything secret except to come to the light. He's saying that what is secret and hidden about God's plan and his purposes and the kingdom right now, they were never meant to stay that way. And they won't stay that way. What is mysterious and out of reach perhaps confusing, troubling, and painful about the way that things are, will come to light. And one day you won't live in a world where you have more questions than answers. One day you will have more answers than you have questions. Because what is secret and what has always been there under the surface will come to light and you will say, that's what Jesus was doing. And it was completely worth it. So clarity... Clarity is barreling towards us, but also a harvest. A harvest. In the, in the middle of the, in, or in, in the middle parable, Jesus says, when the grain is ripe, in other words, when God's purposes, when his kingdom has grown into full blossom, into full expression, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So a harvest is coming. The harvest comes when there's nothing left to grow when there's nothing left to produce, when all has come into bloom, when all of God's purposes set in motion before time began, reach the point to which God says, finally, it's over. There's nothing left to wait for. There's no one left to wait for. They're all here. A harvest means so many things. It means joy and it means feasting. It means the wait is over. 
It means abundance and joy and richness and bounty, but it also means justice. The harvest means that the time is over where God allowed for certain things to exist in the field that were never meant to be there. And that they did for a while, but the harvest is coming and God's going to deal with what has always been there. Justice. When God will deal with this world in a final and full way. And you know, a harvest it's either the best news or it's the worst news, depending on your relationship to the harvester. Um, so Jesus says, this is where it's all going. This is how the true story is going to end, with the light dispelling the darkness, with, with clarity, and with the joy and the justice of God's harvest. But there's one more thing. Jesus says, it's also going towards home. That this is where the true story is going The true story of the kingdom of God is going towards home. Notice the the parable of the mustard seed. It ends with this tiny little seed growing up into this large tree that then puts out, as Jesus says, large branches. And then we have this line here, so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. I always used to think that that little phrase there was just kind of a throwaway line, uh, just a, a descriptor, a way for Jesus to say it's a really big tree. You know, like he could have said, it grows up so high that its top reaches to the heavens, something like that. But there's so much more going on here. Um, The birds of the air coming to make nests in the branches is not just a way to describe how big the tree is. It's a way to describe the whole point of the tree all along. Um, You see, Jesus is actually referring uh, to several Old Testament passages in which God uses this exact same language. You see, God's been telling this story all along. And in the Old Testament, God uses this exact same language about a tree growing up in Israel and spreading out its branches so that the birds of the air can come and make nests. And the birds of the air there refer to the nations all around Israel that had no right and no business coming to to be in Israel in the first place. So they're people. Notice how in the parable last week, the birds of the air are bad things. The, the birds of the air represent Satan himself coming to pluck the word out of the, out of the hearts of God's people or, or of, of people. Here the birds of the air are people. They're outsiders. They're enemies. They're rebels that exist outside of God's people. And Jesus says, here's the point of the tree growing up all along so that it can put out branches So that the birds of the air, all of the outsiders and nobodies who have no right to be there can come and find safety and refuge, a home. Jesus is saying, this is the true story and this is where it's all going. And this is the true story that I'm not only inviting you to receive, but to participate in. The true story that you're invited to live out of is the true story of God's incredible hospitality. The king himself opening up his home by leaving it so that he can invite strangers in. So that the birds of the air can come and find rest in its branches. You know, um, a few weeks ago we sang these words from Psalm 90. You may be familiar with this, with this song. Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, 
Our shelter from the stormy blasts and what? And our eternal home. Have you ever thought about the fact that we have no right to sing, to sing that? Like that should not be in our hymnal. And the only reason it is, is by God's sheer, unlimited, bottomless, unexhaustible grace. That we, the birds of the air, have been invited in to call God our home. That's the point. That's where this is all going. And it's not just for us. You remember at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew records that as Jesus is hanging there dying on the cross, that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is, that's the language of a king who has just been kicked out of his home so that someone else can come in. And you know what we find just a few verses later? We find this Roman soldier. Like, you cannot get more enemy, an outsider, an outcast, than a Roman soldier who's got Jesus' blood on his hands because he's just crucified him. And he looks up and he says, surely this must be the Son of God. You see, the birds of the air are starting to flock already. Because the king, with his outstretched arms, is creating a home and rest, and safety for people that should not belong there. That's the true story of what God is really up to in this world, what he's doing in your life, and what he's inviting you to participate in. The story of birds of the air who have found a home, who then go out to invite others into that same home. And our churches should look more like that. So that's the true story of, where, of, of how the kingdom comes and where the kingdom is going. But thirdly and lastly, briefly, how is it going to get there? How is the kingdom of God going to get from seed to harvest, from point A to point B? And, you know, if you think about it, this is a question that you're always asking. We're always asking this question as we're participating in the mustard seed-like kingdom of God. We're always face-to-face -face with the not-yetness of the kingdom. Every time that we pray, thy kingdom come, we're recognizing that it hasn't come all the way and that we don't quite know how it's going to or what it's going to look like. And we wonder, God, how are you going to, how are you going to fix this? How is it going to get there? Well, Jesus says, let me answer your question with a story. Verse 26. The kingdom of God is, is like a man that should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. You see, as the farmer watches his crop grow here, he realizes that there's a lot going on here that I don't understand. And there's a lot going on here that I can't control. <laughs> the farmer, he can describe what's happening. He might be an expert farmer, and he can describe what's happening, but to describe it does not mean that you fully understand it. <laughs> the only thing that lets the farmer sleep at night, according to Jesus, is that he's not the only character in the story, and that he's not the main character. You see... His crop is growing in ways that are both beyond his comprehension and beyond his contribution. The seed sprouts and it grows. He knows not how. That's how God's kingdom is being brought to bear 
on a groaning world and into our own lives in ways that are going to stay beyond our contribution and beyond our comprehension. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have some kind of understanding, but we never have all of the understanding. We never have a full grasp of what's really going on. Sometimes the more we know, the more we realize that we don't know. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't use our contributions. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use the ways that we serve and give and minister. But so often, he ha- so often he's at work despite our contributions, isn't he? And so, and so Jesus is saying this is how God's kingdom is going to get from here to there. Not based on how smart you are or how spiritual you are, or how much you want it, or your ingenuity, or your creativity, or your effort, praise the Lord. He will use it, but it does not depend on it, because it will grow and advance in ways that will stay beyond your comprehension and beyond your contributions. That's the true story of how God is bringing his kingdom to bear in this world and in your own life in ways that you can't control or may not be able to imagine. And you see, the good news is that God's kingdom is coming in a way that your best efforts can't speed up and that this world's best efforts cannot slow down. Like the farmer, that's the only thing that will allow you to sleep at night. The true story, and knowing that you're not the main character, but knowing that the story is being written by someone who does have full comprehension and someone who does have full control. So we've seen how the kingdom comes, where it's going, and how it's going to get there. Jesus says this is the true story. Live into it and live out of it. This is the true story that I'm inviting you to receive and to participate in. But what do we do with this as we close? Where do we go from here? Well, notice that there's only only one direct command or instruction in all of this passage here. And it's verse 24. Pay attention. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what I'm telling you. Listen to the true story. In, in, In the original language, it's literally... Watch your ears. Watch your ears. Listen to the true story. That's what Jesus wants. Wake up. What story are you living out of? What story do you believe you're in right now? And in what ways do you need to step out of that story and into the true story? Which story are you living in? And is it the true story? Pay attention. And here's why. Because, as Jesus says, the little that you have will be added to you. For those that have, more will be added to them, he says, according to the measure with which you measure. But, the little, but, if you, but, but then he goes on and he says, but even those that have not, what little they have will be taken away from them. Kind of, my, kind of mysterious, enigmatic language to end a sermon on, but here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, pay attention to how you measure what I'm telling you. Because you're going to measure it. You're going to value it. 
you're going to place some kind of value judgment on the true story that I'm telling you. And you're either going to find it good and true and beautiful and worth it, or you're not. And if you get a little bit right now, you are going to love what's coming. But if you reject and walk away from, the, from what I'm telling you, then even what you think you understand, you're going to lose. See, have you ever walked into a kitchen where somebody is baking or, or cooking a feast and it's not nearly done yet and all the ingredients are still out on the counter and you just dip your pinky into to a bowl and you taste it and the chef says, you know, if you like that, you like how that tastes, you're going to love what's coming. But if you don't like, that, if you don't like how that tastes, you're going to hate what's coming. You see, Jesus is saying that the true story that we have the kingdom in mustard seed form right now, if you, if you find it valuable, if you find it beautiful, if you find the king worth your life, then you, you have no idea what's coming because there's so much more. But if you reject it and walk away from it, then even what you think you understand and have now, you won't. So pay attention. What story are you living out of? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that by your grace you would come and restore us. Restore us to the joy of your salvation, the truth of who you are, and the truth of who we are because of what you've done for us. And in that way, O oh Lord, prepare and equip us to go out into this world participating in the true story as birds of the air who have found a home in the outstretched arms of Jesus, inviting others into that same home. Would you please do this, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.